Thank you so much, Choir Church. Let's take our Bibles and turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in two passages of Scripture today. And just a couple of things. One that you may not know, uh, Miss Rachel is going to be playing uh, at Carnegie Hall in New York. Uh, when, when is that, Rachel? March, next month, March the 3rd, it's going to be playing in Carnegie Hall. So I'm certain, is that right, March 3rd? March the 30th, I rebuke myself, March the 30th, uh, she's going to be playing at Carnegie Hall. And I'm certain when she gets up to play, she'll say, you know, this is in honor of my pastor and my church family, right? <laughs> we are so excited uh, for her. And, and let me just say a word, if I might, um, about our Gideon ministry. Um, I love the Gideons. Uh, I'm so thankful for all the men in our church and the ladies that partner with them and the work that they do. Uh, they serve their own time out of their own pocket in order to place the Word of God in the hands of people. And um, every year my wife and I look forward, we place a Bible uh, in honor of every member of our family. So last year we got to play seven um, and uh, in, in honor of my grandson James. And this year we get to place eight uh, because in two weeks um, baby Abigail will, will be here. And uh, when Abigail comes, uh, I'm certain that uh, I will be worth nothing. So I'm just warning you uh, up front. We are talking about how to live out the gospel in your marriage. And we started it last week. How do you live out the gospel in your marriage? And we want to uh, pick up where we left off last week. I am certainly thankful for the 30 years of marriage that Julie and I have shared together. Uh, March the 26th of this year, we'll celebrate our 30th anniversary. And I know that the Lord has uh, taught me many things uh, over the course of 30 years. Uh, the Lord has shown me that I can be selfish and self-centered and stubborn and ungrateful, that I can push to make sure all my needs are met. In other words, I can be a complete jerk. No amens are necessary. Um, it became clear to me the first year of our marriage. Uh, one Saturday in particular, and we hadn't been married long, uh, I had left that morning and had gone to uh, play basketball with some friends from church. And then I think we went and played golf. I was gone all day. And I came in on that Saturday um, uh, late afternoon and I got home and took a shower and sat down to eat. And my wife had prepared a meal uh, for us. She had prepared some grilled fish and uh, a baked potato. And to top it off, she had sprinkled some green stuff, you know, on the top and um, of course, you know, I was raised on a farm in Kentucky, and so green stuff goes on the side of the plate, uh, not on top of the meat. Uh, and so nevertheless, um, I, I remember, and try not to gasp, but I, I remember taking one bite of that fish and then kind of leaning over to my left in the little apartment where we lived, and there was the trash can, and I just kind of scooped it in. I can promise you I have never done it again. 
In fact, I can go so far as to say I'm lucky to be alive. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was not long after I'd done it, and of course my sweet wife, if you know Julie, she never said a word. But I looked up right behind her on the counter, and there was a chocolate cake that she had made for me because she knows that I love chocolate cake. And it was the most bitter cake, not because she didn't prepare it right. It was bitter to my mouth because of the ugliness of my actions. I want us, as we continue this focus on gospel marriage, if the gospel is above all, right? how does it affect the way we live out the gospel in our marriages? Right? And so I, I want us to really start here. What we believe about God and His gospel determines the quality of our marriage. What we believe about God and His gospel determines the quality of our marriage. Men, let me ask you a question. Have you ever buttoned your shirt wrong? Right? Have you ever started buttoning your shirt and then when you either get to the top or get to the bottom, they just don't seem to line up? I mean, it is a fashion nightmare. If you button your shirt incorrectly, um, it just doesn't look right. It just doesn't fit right. It just doesn't feel right. Well, marriage is like that. Getting the first button right is the key to everything else falling into perfect alignment. And the first button in the marriage is God and God's glorious gospel. And if you get the gospel right, if you get God and His gospel right in your mind, if you launch from there, then everything else has a way of working itself out. So if there are communication issues or, or if there are budgeting issues or uh, just if there's conflict resolution or romance issues, or whatever it might be, if you start out right, everything else has a way of falling into alignment. And so the first button is the gospel. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find the solution to our sin problem today, tomorrow, and in eternity. And that's why the gospel is the foundation of of a thriving marriage. One of the books that I introduced to you a couple of weeks ago, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. This is what Tim Keller says on page 40. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. He is simply saying that husbands and wives need to live out the gospel every day because our relationship is a picture of the same relationship Jesus wants to have with us. So in my home, Julie and I both need to live out the gospel in our marriage every day. How do you do that? Well, let me remind you of what we looked at last week. We talked about how the gospel brings clarity to marriage. Right, I read about a dad this week who uh, was hearing commotion in the playroom so he rushed in to investigate and saw two brothers that were fighting and finally when he asked what's up the younger brother screamed it all started when he hit me back. Listen, 
remember this truth that we talked about last week. As far as I can see, the biggest problem I know is me. As far as I can see, the biggest problem I know is me. The gospel brings clarity to marriage. Secondly, the gospel brings forgiveness to marriage. Right? And the truth that we discovered was that God has forgiven us more times than we will ever have the opportunity to forgive someone else. Today I want us to talk about two things. And I want to direct this third point primarily to men. And then the fourth primarily to the women. But I want us to see how the gospel brings selflessness and surrender to a marriage. So, third, the gospel brings selflessness to marriage. And men, I want to speak to you for for a moment. As a Christian husband, you do not have to wonder or speculate about what it means to carry out your role in a way that pleases God and in a way that blesses your wife. The Bible is not vague about your role in your marriage and in your home. It is not obscure. It's not cloudy. In fact, I would say it is crystal clear. The Bible says you are to love your wife just like Christ loved the church. Now, in Ephesians 5, in our text, it was read for us this morning. In the closing verses of Ephesians 5, Paul describes how out of love, Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Jesus sacrificed his life in order to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then he explains marriage and he says that instead of marriage being a selfish union between a man and a woman, marriage ought to be a selfless union between a man a woman. He says this to the men, husbands, love, it's the word agape, sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives and do not miss the word as. Right? It comes from a Greek word kathos. It literally means exactly as or in the same way as. Husbands, love your wives exactly like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. When you look at Ephesians 5, starting with verse 22 and going through verse 33, it is the longest and most detailed passage in the Bible on the roles and responsibilities of a husband and a wife. And in these 12 verses, men Make a note, two and a half of them are devoted to the wife. Nine and a half of them 
are devoted to the husbands. I think this means that by looking at the verse ratio, our responsibilities as husbands are more vital to the health and success of our marriages than we even know. Men, I wonder if most of the problems in our marriage are the direct result of our failure to fulfill our responsibilities. Now, my goal today is not to discourage you, and my goal today is not to overwhelm you. It is my prayer that we will see that one of the greatest joys in our lives can be the selfless love that we express to our wives. Notice what Paul says. Paul says that selfless love is sacrificial love. Selfless love is sacrificial love. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when it comes to how we should love our wives, when it comes to a model that we look at in order to know how to love our wives, our example is Jesus Christ and His love for the church. Now, I'm certain if I ask all the men in this room who are husbands, if you would be willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for your wife. I'm I'm sure that every man would say yes. I'm I'm sure if if someone was holding your wife at gunpoint, right, and looking at you and say it's either going to be you or her, you would be the first one to stand up and say, let her live and take my life. I know that we will die for our wives. But really the question is, will we live for our wives day by day by day by dying to ourselves and focusing on her needs, her wants, her desires over our own? It's one thing, you know, to say, yes, I'm willing to die for my wife. Yes, I'm willing to go out in a blaze of glory. Yes, I'm willing to have my name in the paper as a man who stood up and and let his life go in order for the sake of his wife. But I believe God is trying to show us that what our wives need is for us every single day of our lives to die to ourselves and love sacrificially our wives just as Jesus did for us. This is what Paul is teaching us. This is what Paul is showing us. Selflessness. Men, will you set aside your preferences so that you can live for her good over your own? Selfless love is a sacrificial love. Selfless love, Paul says, is also a sanctifying love. Often we look at Ephesians 5 and we might miss this very simple phrase, that he might sanctify her. That he might sanctify her. That he might make her holy. That's what sanctify means. It means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. Men, 
Your wife does not exist first for your pleasure and your joy and your comfort. She exists first for God. And your focus should be on her holiness. To love her with a sanctifying love because you know deep down inside that she has been set apart to do what God has called her to do. That she has been set apart to be what God has called her to be. One of the ways that you can know selflessness is present in your marriage is when you are focused on leading and guiding and assisting her in her spiritual growth and maturity. I might ask it this way, men, not necessarily to preach, but to meddle a little bit. How much do you pray with your wife? How much time do you spend opening the Word of God together? Not in preparation for your Bible study class. Right? Not so you can sit in Lamar Pettit's class and if Lamar questions you, you're both prepared to answer the questions. Nobody's prepared to answer the questions he asks. <laughs> no, really, men, do you think about how your wife is progressing in her walk with Christ? Do you ever think about the fact that your role as a husband is inextricably connected to her being conformed to the image of Jesus? So this puts a call on us, doesn't it? <laughs> to grow in holiness first. I cannot ever take my wife where I'm not willing to go myself. I can't lead my wife to holiness if I am not progressing in holiness in my own heart. I can't lead Julie to model Jesus if my heart is first of all not being transformed by the amazing grace of God. God has taught me anything over 30 years. He has shown me over and over again that I need to identify and crucify my own sin first. So that I can help my wife and my children look more like Jesus. I mean, men, can I just ask you this morning, is your purity... And your wife's purity a priority today in your life? Selflessness. Ladies, can I say to you today that the gospel not only brings selflessness to a marriage, but can I, can I suggest that the gospel brings Surrender to marriage. I mean, wives, do you see your life as one of surrender? First to Christ, 
And then to your husband as the spiritual leader of your marriage and the spiritual leader of your home. Surrender is at the core of the gospel. Surrender is at the core of every great marriage. Paul says to the church at Philippi, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men. The word form that Paul speaks of means that in eternity past, Jesus was always God. He has always been and continues to be God. Before the world came into being before the stars were ever set in place. Jesus Christ was God. That's what Paul said to the church at Colossae. Right in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn among all creation. And he did not cling to his equality. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus did not selfishly cling to his deity. He voluntarily laid down his rights when he became a man. And he emptied himself. He waived his rights to what was rightfully His. Paul says, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ became a servant. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that through His poverty you might be made rich. Jesus took his surrender all the way to the end, to the end of his life. He became obedient to the point of death. He went from the highest pinnacle of glory to the lowest point of humility and shame. And ladies, what this means to us is that no human being could ever start so high and no human being could ever drop so low as Jesus did. No human being could ever surrender themselves like Jesus did. And yet, the Bible asks us to surrender ourselves to God. And then to the man that God has given to you, ladies, as the spiritual leader of your home. You say, well, Pastor, what do I do when... My husband doesn't act like a spiritual leader. You do two things, ladies. Pray. And surrender. You don't 
pray and surrender because He is always worthy. You pray and you surrender because God and God's gospel is always worthy. So ladies, I would, I would ask you this morning, will you surrender your rights for the sake of your husband? Will you lay down your rights for the sake of your husband? So let, let me just quickly summarize this morning. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about how to live out the gospel in our marriage and how the gospel brings clarity to our marriage, how the gospel brings forgiveness to our marriage. We talked about how the, the gospel brings selflessness to our marriage, how the gospel brings surrender to our marriage. What is this telling us? Well, I think it's telling us a couple of things. Number one, it's telling us that God never does something great through us until He, first of all, does something significant in us. I can never be the husband and father that I need to be until I have, first of all, experienced the power of the gospel in my life. And I want to say to you men, make certain that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Right, Because I, I will never even notice my own selfishness. I will never even notice the ugliness of my life and my heart without the gospel helping me to see that Jesus has done for me what I could not do for myself. Men, the greatest gift you can give your family is to make certain they know you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Remember, for our 15th anniversary, I believe it was, I remember sitting my boys down in our family room, and Julie in the couch, and I came in with a, a little pail of water and a towel. And washed her feet. I think my boys were pretty young at the time, and so I think they probably walked away from that experience thinking, Mom must really have smelly feet. I wanted them to see that I believed God had called me to serve my wife, to love her selflessly. Because God had done something significant in me. And as a result, I wanted to do something with it. I also want to encourage you today, don't measure the success of your marriage by outward appearance, but by a selfless, surrendered heart for Christ and for your spouse. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter where we live the size of our home, or does it really matter the vehicle that we drive? Is that the focus we are to possess? 
There's the focus to be one of absolute selfless surrender to the gospel of God. And then third, I want to encourage you to remember that earthly marriage is not the goal. The goal is a greater marriage to a greater groom. And that is the reason why we should let our love for our spouse mirror Christ's love for us. I started a story last week. I want to finish it today. I was telling you about um, a conversation with my dad. As my mom was nearing her passing. What I didn't tell you is that it was apparent at about 5.30 one afternoon that she was struggling. And so we decided we would all come in and gather around her room and we would tell her, right, what she meant to us. And so here are, here are four kids and, you know, a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law and some cousins and my dad. And we all just took turns sharing, you know, Mom, thank you for being such a great mom. Serving your family so faithfully. But my dad reminded me of this when my dad said, Betty, thank you for being such a wonderful wife for 64 years. Now, you go be with Jesus. When you have clarity and when you have forgiveness... When you have selflessness and you have surrender, do you know what you have in the gospel? You have gospel hope. God is preparing us here for something greater. And that's where we're headed. And that's where our focus should be. Not on the things of this life. But on where we're headed. And so men... Love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Ladies, be like Jesus in Philippians 2 and lay aside your rights in order to bless, encourage, pray for, and love your husband. And when we do that, the hope of the gospel is present.